Hello, everyone. You're listening to In the Weeds, an agriculture podcast hosted by Monica Jean and the Michigan Field Crops team. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another In the Weeds with Monica Jean and the Michigan Field Crop team. Uh, Monica Jean here, a uh, field crops educator from Michigan State University Extension, and I cover the Saginaw Bay area. I am back with a wonderful co-host who we've had many a time and enjoy all the good banter is Paul Gross, Uh, but we have the privilege of having Dr. Laura Van Erd here. Uh, She is a professor of sustainable soil management at the University of Guelph. Ridgetown. And we're going to brag a little for you, Laura. I, you know, I just keyed her up saying she gets to introduce herself, but I actually did get some information shared to me. So I'm going to embarrass her probably maybe a little bit, but she was recognized as one of the six influential women of Canadian agriculture in 2020. So pretty cool. And I, that's a great title. It is. That's very, I'm, I'm, you got to be very proud of yourself for that. Yeah, it, it was uh, kind of out of a blue and uh, really cool. And it was the first time they they had that award. So really honored and really great company that year and in following years. Very cool. So thank you. I'm yeah. going to say it's well-deserved. Sorry, I really Thanks. Am. Thank you. It's... Uh, yeah, it came at a really nice time when we were all, you know, kind of in our own homes and not able to do stuff in 2020 and um, really nice to celebrate virtually with uh, with that one at a time when, you know, you kind of had to make sure you weren't having yourself a little pity party with yeah. the... <laughs> you know, with the changes that were going on at the time. But fortunately, right? Yeah, fortunately, we're on the other side of that. And uh, everything's great. It's a sunny fall day here in, in Ontario. I'm uh, just so your listeners know, I'm a an hour from Detroit. So we're just up the road uh, from from you guys in Michigan. Fabulous. I, th- I feel like there's even farmers around there who grow sugar beets for Michigan sugar. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we've got around 10,000 acres of sugar beets. I have been doing research with the Sugar Beet Growers Association here in Ontario and as well, uh, Michigan Sugar Company have been great supporters of my research. And what we do there is try to optimize nitrogen use efficiency and and sugar beets, and that's been a really great organization to work for, and really interesting system, as many of your listeners will know, right? Yeah. The more nitrogen you put on, the lower your sugar, so you're trying to balance, uh, you know, your costs and your sugar production. Yeah. yeah, those things are really nitrogen is a really huge topic, and and I think uh, mm-hmm. I always say it's kind of the Houdini of agriculture because it's so hard to manage. And um, we'll uh, we'll probably go into that in a little bit more detail. But let's uh, let's get into some of the, yeah. the topics that we really wanted to talk to you about, and that's the the long term rotational research that you've been involved with. And and what are some of the findings? I I 
kind of I use this information all the time in, in my work, uh, those long-term rotational studies and some of the things that you found. So could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So uh, let me just start with the, the big picture of what we have. Um, so the, at Richtown campus, we have a long-term tillage and crop rotation experiment. And in there, it includes four different nitrogen rates. So we have two tillage systems and seven, we'll say seven crop rotations. And so quite a powerful uh, way to look at, at farming, right? It's not just the one factor. Um, and so there's also a twin site at Elora, which is two and a half hours further north. Uh, and these sites are maintained by Dr. David Hooker and Dr. Bill Dean, and more recently, Dr. Josh Nelzinski. And so they're the agronomists on, on those studies, and I get to play with uh, play with soil, try to understand what's happening in, in the soil in response to the different management systems. Um, so that's kind of an overview of it. Um, and if I think about what's the number one thing, what's the number one value and take home for, for growers, and, and that's the value of winter wheat and the rotation. Um, so having winter wheat, either in a soybean wheat rotation or in a corn soybean wheat rotation, really increases soil organic matter. Um, and, and we see the effects of soil organic matter. Um, yeah, I guess I'll pause there. But if, if you think about all the good things soil organic matter does, that's what we're trying to quantify. So are you you're putting cover crops then after the wheat as well? And can you talk about maybe some species that you're using? Uh, are you comparing species? Are some performing better than others in this in this study? Yep. So in in this uh, rotation at Richtown, we have red clover in intersown in April or March um, into the winter wheat. So we have that as part of the rotation. Um, that's been a relatively more recent addition to the experiment. So uh, about 10 years now, we've had winter wheat with red clover underseeded. So we're just starting to look at the, the impact of red clover into our rotation. However, uh, a little bit further north at Alora, they have since the night, I think it was 1980s, they started that experiment. And there they are comparing alfalfa, so continuous alfalfa, or two years alfalfa, two years corn. And then they also have a, they also have red clover interseeded into winter wheat. So that would be the corn, corn, soybeans, wheat, 
undersown with red clover. Um, and so whether it's red clover or alfalfa, we're seeing greater soil health tests, um, greater organic matter, and the all the all the things we would expect with greater organic matter. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Monica. Oh, can we talk a little bit about, so what I've grasped so far is that there's this advantage when you add winter wheat into your rotation. And then there's an added advantage of like having that cover crop too, whether you have the space to plant the cover crop, intercede the cover crop with wheat, whatever. But you have these additions and you're evaluating them for, you know, and you've established them as good. What makes them good? Like, have you seen increased nutrient efficiency? the uh, profitability, right? Like what are, what are the parameters that you guys are looking at? Yes. So we, um, so my program has looked at uh, the Cornell soil health test with winter wheat in the, in the rotation. So that work was um, a few years ago and that was with the myomafra colleagues are our Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs. There are extension people. So that's Ann Verhollen and Adam Hayes. So when we have winter wheat in the rotation, we can see greater soil health, um, whether that's scores or whether that's an individual parameter such as um, aggregate stability is greater with winter wheat in the rotation, um, organic matter is greater in the surface. We've also measured down to the one foot uh, depth and where we have winter wheat in the rotation, we have uh, more stored organic carbon and organic matter. Um, and so that study was done in 2009, and we're just starting and repeating that uh, with depth to look at um, if there's changes or the rate of accumulation of soil organic matter, soil organic carbon with depth. But it's, um, it's, I don't know. I guess I. I guess I'll say surprising. I didn't expect there to be so, uh, so much more, like relatively speaking, with winter wheat in the rotation, and it. And we're not alone. Like um, in our temperate climate, that addition of small grains. So whether it's winter wheat or if you're on lighter soil where rye works better in, in your soil type or another uh, small grains, oats, barley. Uh, in our temperate, humid temperate climate, we see that value of, of grains in the system in terms of soil health. What uh, we've, we've talked, uh, we mentioned organic matter several times and, and we know that that's a key driver. Uh, how have you seen over the the this study? How long? How have you seen the organic matters changes? Have how much are you increasing it? Uh, is that a trick question? It's not a trick question, but is something to get your hard to answer? Uh, 
I just don't have those numbers at my fingertips. Okay. Um, I would say about a half a percent. Um, and a half a percent of organic matter uh, doesn't seem like a lot. But if you're going from, let's say, 4% to 4.5% on a clay clay soil, that really has impact in terms of water holding capacity, the ability to to prevent plant stress when you're waiting for a rainfall. Um, and the other thing is about uh, nitrogen cycling. So with, and maybe we can talk about that now, right? With, with greater organic matter, we've seen that having winter wheat in the rotation limits your need for external uh, inputs of nitrogen, like fertilizer, or maybe you're in a system with manure. And so that's, that's kind of a little bit opposite of, of what we initially think, right? Mm -hmm. we, we tend to think about, okay, winter wheat, we're going to have straw left, and that straw is going to immobilize nitrogen. And then you're, so you're going to have to put more on for your corn crop. And, and that be, could be true in your early years of adding winter wheat in the rotation. But in the long term, right after 10 years or like about, it takes about 10 years for the soil to equilibrate. What was that the right word? <laughs> equilibrate? <laughs> Works for me. Close <laughs> enough. I was uh, I was following you. It seemed like there was a syllable missing. Anyway, to balance, let's yeah. see. <laughs> it takes a bit for the soil to balance. Um, but what we're seeing at Richtown, where we have four different rates of nitrogen to the corn. With the long-term use of winter wheat, which in my opinion, because I'm a social well, a soil scientist, right? It's the soil increases in soil organic matter that really pumps out the nitrogen and then it minimizes the amount of nitrogen that you needed in the corn to the corn plant. Um, you know, or the other way to look at it is uh, you're less likely to be short on nitrogen because you have winter wheat in the rotation because you've improved your soil health. Um, yeah, so there's there's many things working there, right? And and we're try like we don't know, you know, is it nitrogen cycling on its own? My hypothesis is it's nitrogen and water, right? Because okay. the corn, if you have more organic matter, you have you're holding on to more moisture, you or you have more moisture available for the corn crop, right? Better soil moisture holding capacity. Um, so I think it's both the soil moisture and the nitrogen cycling that we see with small grains in the rotation or 
And that, in my opinion, is mediated by soil health. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so our farmers, yeah. Is probably mm-hmm. the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So are farmers using this to, to lower their nitrogen application rates? I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's what, you know, we hope for efficient, economically efficient production that that's will happen. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'm not sure I have a great handle on what actually, you know, the the information and then direct, you know, decision making. I'm I'm not sure I have a good handle on it. Our hope for what they do, though, is that it gives them some some assurance, right? It's like insurance. Um, to either cut back, especially when fertilizer prices are higher, or experiment with, you know, putting a strip in with with less, um, by knowing that you have a, a sustainable crop rotation that includes the small grains, right? Um, the actual the the growers who are committed to winter wheat um, and have used it for a long time they they are are seeing that they well they tell me that they need, tend to need less nitrogen mm-hmm. um, and I think that's through increases in soil organic matter and and nitrogen cycling um, so bringing those pieces together, it sounds like that organic matter is giving you like weather resiliency, right? With the moisture and then some financial resilience, like you have a little bit of bank there. That's nice. Absolutely. And I think the kind of the challenge, right, is when we think of winter wheat, we think of that you know, oh, you know, the prices and, you know, it's hard to, in your, your balance sheet, it's hard to, to pencil it out. But then if you think about the positive impact winter wheat is going to have on your, your corn crop, then that added benefit should go towards the whole enterprise and not just the winter wheat balance sheet. Um, you know, that's relatively easy for, for me to say, right. And it's, we, we do have excellent data on that because of these long-term trials that have side-by-side comparison of, you know, with winter wheat or without winter wheat in the rotation. I, I know that, uh, winter wheat, uh, has always been, a challenge for some growers to, to, to bring it into their rotation. Now, in mm-hmm. some areas, I know in in particular in, in, in central Michigan and other parts of Michigan as well, um, there's a good market for the straw. Yeah. So, you know, combining um, this, the value of the straw, spreading out the work, uh, just cash flow for farmers you know winter wheat seems to be sneaking its way into more and more farms rotation and i think some of this this research can really support that economically in, mm-hmm. in my opinion mm-hmm. um, but absolutely 
and and even better if you can uh, trade straw for manure, yeah. right? Like yes. there to me, I think it's a it's a win win. We're we're seeing a lot of that here, and mm-hmm. um, I, I'd kind of like to sneak down another little. We're kind of on the nitrogen um, discussion, and with the prices that we have now, you know, we've had I've had more inquiries about how much nitrogen credit can I take from the red clover cover, you know, mm-hmm. just a good interseeded, you know, winter frost seeded cover. And what are you finding? Uh, how much nitrogen credit can you take consistently for a good red clover cover crop? Yeah, um, we we do have book values in in our province, and those are are good numbers to look at. Um, I, you know, I am very confident in saying 70 pounds. Okay. Yeah, like just dial it back. Now, I, I also know that when I say cut your fertilizer back by 70 pounds, people will probably go, oh, come on, Laura. And if I get them at 50 pounds, I, I think that's a win, right? <laughs> um, like I am a realist, but the numbers show at least that, that amount and we have really good data in Ontario for to substantiate that number um it, you know the the thing is is that you have to sleep at night as a farmer right the good news the with corn is you can see it and then, and you can come in and apply like there's lots of opportunity to apply your fertilizer um and with, but yeah, it's 70 is, it's very comfortable number. That's great. It's great to hear that number because, you know, we, we talk about getting close to that number. We talk about ranges, but it's nice to, to, to narrow it down a little, to get a little tighter for farmers to make those, make those decisions. Yep. Yeah. So we're, um, uh, if you don't mind, we could, uh, if I could bounce back to the topic of soil health and nitrogen. Um, we have an, another long-term trial at Richtown campus that I started in 2007, where we looked at different types of cover crops. So uh, we have radish, oats, cereal rye, and rye and radish. So we're comparing those four cover crops to a no cover crop control. And uh, after after 15 years, we, we are seeing changes in organic matter. And that's, so we went from 3.4% organic matter to 3.9% in a sandy loam soil. And now, uh, now we're seeing that the cycling of corn, the cycling of nitrogen to the corn crop is uh, it's, it's providing 38 to 59 bushels of corn. Like that's the power of soil organic matter. Um, Wow. That's amazing. Those are amazing yield changes. Yeah. And that's with uh, just providing 30 bushels or sorry, 30 pounds of nitrogen up front. 
So we went from 187 bushels to uh, close to 250 uh, in 2020. It was it was amazing how much uh, how good the corn looked, and similar results in 2021. So 38 bushels was the highest. Wow, I'd take that. Right. And then and then you go back to the kind of that resiliency, right? It's so if you messed up your nitrogen rate, you're you've got it from from the soil, from the increase in organic matter. I if I I like the quote uh or I like to think about soil health and soil organic matter as it um ignores the weather and forgives your mistakes. Yeah. I like that. I don't know if I've heard that yet, Laura. That's a nice one. That's, yeah. yeah. That's how I, and don't we all need that? Yeah. Right? Well, I I always, I feel like the resiliency is those systems, what that soil organic matter does. It it balances Mm -hmm. those, those big rain events that aggregation allows it to hand take the water hold it for the dry periods and it creates that resiliency in the system Um, Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and so we can we're seeing it now in our my cover crop experiment and then in the rotation experiment which has winter wheat and then you plant a cover crop with it we're definitely we're seeing that um, in those crop rotation, and so winter wheat alone is working for soil health, and then just gives you an opportunity to plant a cover crop. Mm-hmm. All right, if you were going to change something on the farm, adding winter wheat back in is a good. That's good. What is adding a cover crop back in? Then is that just like if you had to pick, you know, mm-hmm. farmers say, what should I do if I'm going to change something? What should I change to start working on this? I uh, Yeah, I think it's, it's winter wheat. Yep. Because the main reason is because it's really challenging to get a cover crop in after soybeans and, you know, Corn is is something else, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I I guess the other thing would be, um, you know, look at at your system. Like if you have sugar beets in the rotation, and they're coming off for early harvest in September, that's a great time to plant cereal rye. Um, or, or to put in winter wheat, right? You could put in winter wheat as a, as a crop. If it doesn't come through the winter, treat it as a cover crop. No-till in your beans, in your soybeans, right? The, the, what I hear from farmers on, um, on the clay ground that have beets in the rotation, they're like, wow, it was the nicest to plant into, right? And didn't have to worry about weeds because of the, you know, you're changing the system. 
Yeah. Uh, so if you've got uh, resistant weeds, you got to think about tricking them, <laughs> right? They've got used to the system you've, yeah. you've provided them. Yeah. And one way to trick them is to grow something <laughs> that they're not used to, yeah. and that's winter wheat. That's that rotational effect, right? <laughs> yeah, you got it. Exactly. Exactly. So in your experiments with uh, that, that you started in, I believe, 2007, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the different cover species and mixes, are, are some species or mixes performing better than others? Not, not consistent enough that I could say, here's the number one, mm. go for this one, which you know, in, in my mind is like, oh, cause I really want a winner. <laughs> That's my nature though. Um, but it, the reality is that that makes it much easier because I can say, pick the cover crop that works best for your system or pick the cover crop that do you think is the easiest one to start with, right? Oats or, or radish, especially radish in a mix. Um, because the winter kill makes it less to worry about in the spring, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, in terms of, like, the only time I could say, so we've done quite a bit of experiments um, looking at different cover crops and really the only one I can say is don't use radish before snap beans or dry beans. And that's because we've had um, four site years of uh, looking at radish before snap beans. And they were never, uh, they ne were never hurt by the cover crop. The snap beans were, yield was never hurt by the cover crop, but it was never better than the no cover crop. Like yield was never better uh, with radish before snap beans. Whereas the other, the other ones we tried, whether it was hairy vetch or forage pea or oats or cereal rye before dry beans or snap beans. Yeah, they were equivalent or better. So for that reason, I kind of wouldn't recommend radish before dry or snap beans. Um, I don't know if if you're interested in knowing about uh, cucumbers. I wouldn't recommend vetch before cucumbers. And that's mainly because of pigweed escapes, right? There's uh, not a lot of products out there well at least in Canada and I assume for you guys there's not a lot of products for cucumbers so yeah just you can get a lot of es escapes yeah. with uh just hairy vetch is so slow to germinate and then mm -hmm. you've got a lot of weed pressure there so mm -hmm. it's kind of looking at the whole system yeah. and trying to figure out what might work yeah. Yeah, we do have a fair amount of cucumbers in, yeah. and, and you know, thinking about some growers, I, I do like hairy vetch as a cover given the opportunity for it to, to grow because of the nitrogen contribution, but there's, there's drawbacks that, you know, we 
to me, we, we got to figure out how to make that one work a little better. Um, yep. Any thoughts? Yeah, I, I really like Carrie Vetch. Um, I, I just wouldn't like, I guess I'd be really cautious about those weed escapes mm-hmm. before cucumbers, but in, uh, you know, snap beans, even before snap beans and sweet corn, great works well. Um, yep. No concerns there. We're trying it now in a, um, we're doing experiments now with looking at multi-species mixes and, um, and bio strips versus no-till versus strip tillage. Um, and in that work, yeah, hairy vetch comes out on top. And like you said, Paul, it's for its nitrogen credit in that system of a corn, soybeans, winter wheat. Uh, sorry. Uh, let me back up. The rotation is <laughs> soybeans, winter wheat, cover crops, corn. All right. Well, it sounds like we've talked uh, kind of like the interaction of that cover crop or for cover crops with our diverse rotations we both have here and obviously where you are. Um, and so I guess I, is there any last, uh, any nuggets that you wanted to make sure got shared that we may have missed? Uh I guess if we're talking about resiliency, the one aspect we could chat about is uh, disease pressure. So in my long-term cover crop experiment where we planted cover crops, I think we had it uh, nine times in 12 years, right? So this is a processing veg with corn, soybeans, and wheat in the rotation. Um, And so before, so... With our processing tomatoes, we observed uh, less defoliation and less anthracnose on the fruit with the long-term cover crops than without cover crops. So that, to me, is pointing to system resiliency, right? Better soil health, meaning better plant health, meaning able to resist the disease pressure. Um, and so that, that was observed in 2019 when we grew tomatoes and the same trends, but in, a, in 2020, we saw the same trends of lower disease with the long-term cover crops compared to the no cover crop. Um, but the, pr- the pressure wasn't there, so we didn't see a statistical difference, but similar trends. Okay. So... You know, so, it, it's it's about the whole system yeah. and, and thinking about soil health, plant health, and, and what does that provide? So then my last question is, can you beat the rotation effect then, Laura? Nope. You heard it. That's a big old no. Nope. So first. Oh, can I say no, eh? Yeah. Maybe? I don't think I got my Canadian A's in enough. (laughs) So if you want to start somewhere, start planning that week. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you so much, Laura, for joining us here. Uh, we really appreciate uh, getting some Canadian perspe- perspective. It's usually good stuff, um, but you're really just oh. there next door. You're pretty much Michigan. We're so. an hour away, so yeah. please come on up to visit. And thanks again, Paul, for joining me. I, I just love talking cover crops, soil health, and, and I know Laura's been very engaged in the research, cover crop research. So it's just really a privilege to to have her with us today. All right. Thank you. Thanks. This podcast has been brought to you by the MSU Extension Field Crops Team. For more podcasts or information, please visit us at canr.msu.edu backslash field underscore crops. Thanks for listening.